what you need to know to be a successful passive real estate investor today and why is real estate investing superior to investing in the stock market? We're going to get into that and more with a very special guest, Michael Blanc, today. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's get to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Now is one of the greatest times in history to be investing in multifamily real estate with hundreds of millions of dollars literally moving from the stock market into alternative assets like real estate every single day. We're in the midst of a golden era. And one of the keys to success is learning how to avoid those upcoming pitfalls and mastering the process of how to scale as an operator in the multifamily business. Regardless, if you're just getting started, if you've been in the game for decades, you've got to join us for this very special training put on by the Multifamily MBA on how to scale from zero to 2,400 units, the three biggest secrets from building a $320 million multifamily portfolio. Register to join us at the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. That's the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento, and today I've got a very special guest I'm excited about back for another episode, the Michael Blanc. How are you doing, Michael? Stephen, it's great to be here. Super great to have you here. We obviously had Michael on an earlier episode. We'll, we'll link that in the show notes as well. But for all of you guys who somehow don't know Michael, he's a multifamily investor with a top podcast on apartment building investing. He's very passionate about helping inspire others to create financial freedom through real estate with his firm, Nighthawk Equities. And he's also an Amazon bestseller, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And today we're going to be diving into phenomenal topic for all of you guys, passive investors out there talking about why real estate investing, specifically real estate syndication, is better than the stock market. You ready to get into things, Michael? Let's do this. Well, before we dive into the goods, let's start out by taking a look back at earlier in your life. What events, Michael, from your childhood shaped who you are today? Childhood, man, I got to tell you, I, I, one thing, one of the things I did is like, maybe, maybe like, like a lot of people, I just drifted through life. Most of the time, Steve, and I just, you know, I was told to go to school, get good grades. I went to school, got good grades. I was told to go get a job. And I did, I, I got a degree in computer science. Uh, I was, I had a little inkling for math maybe, and maybe some computer stuff. I don't know. So I got, that's what I did. Didn't really think too much about it. Got a job, worked for America online a little bit. And, uh, and then went to a software startup in the late nineties, which was kind of cool. It was a right, was a third employee there, worked out of the CEO's basement. And three and a half years later, we went public and it was just a monster event. Um, put a bunch of money in my pocket. Where do you think that idea of just, I'm going to just follow the path that's directly in front of me came from? Is that what your parents did? I, I don't know. You know, I was never surrounded by any kind of entrepreneurs. So the idea of working for yourself was, uh, it wasn't even in my, in my realm of, of reality. You know, and I think if I look at young kids today, I think it's very, very easy to drift through life and just do this and do the other thing. Like just for example, the decision to go to college is, is a basically not a discussion point for many, many families. It is in our family. Actually, my wife and I disagree a little bit on the matter. 
but you know, but, but, but that's an example. And then once you go to college, well, what's the next thing? Well, you get a job, obviously, you know, and then one thing leads to another. It's like a chain reaction that sometimes you get on a, on a track and it's difficult to break away from that. And so I was on this track and look, I wasn't unhappy. You know, it's not like I said, go, oh, Mike, look, I'm, I'm on a track to get a job. But when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it really smacked me upside the head. It was like the first time where I was like, it's almost like you run into a, a parallel universe somehow. We have an accident. You go through this wormhole and you look out and you're like, whoa, it's like the matrix. You know, it's like the numbers coming down. You see all these things. That was like the experience I had reading Rich Dad. And it just so shook me to the core. And I thought I was a pretty smart guy at the time. Maybe it was, but I had, I thought I'd figured things out and it clearly did not. So it, it changed the trajectory of my, uh, you know, what I did. Well, it's a whole different way of thinking. And that's the core, right? It's like you didn't have those examples. You didn't have those people that you didn't even know that it existed. So you weren't looking for it. And then all of a sudden you had this experience reading that book and it kind of changed everything. And so I know a lot of people who are listening have had that experience They're they're coming to this. And obviously we're going to be talking about passive investing today. So from your perspective, you're somebody who's, you know, invested in thousands of units. You've flipped houses. Now you're a big multifamily investor. You've had a lot of different experience from different areas. What does somebody need to know who wants to go down that path of passive investing to be able to make that decision that this is the right choice versus going more of an active route? So I was kind of an active passive investor when I quote retired because I had a bunch of money. Now there are people listening, watching to this that maybe have a bunch of money to invest in, maybe they're in the stock market or in cash or in bonds or something like that. And so when I read that book, it changed me in two ways. Number one is I felt like I needed to be an active entrepreneur. So I wanted to do things myself, real estate, flip houses, get into this, uh, trade stocks and options as an active thing. It wasn't a passive thing, but I did get into some passive investing. And, and, and a major mistake I made was I felt a compelling sense of urgency to deploy the capital to get passive income from it. I felt like the money in the bank account or the brokerage accounts, even if it was in stocks, was useless, just sitting there like a lump of rocks. And so I was very aggressive at looking for ways to deploy it. And because I was so aggressive about it, I didn't actually study the asset class. I didn't study the operators I invested in. And as a result, I ended up losing hundreds of thousand dollars in these passive investments probably through a combination of, you know, economic downturn, you know, incompetent operators and possibly even fraud along the way. And uh, it was a very expensive lesson versus doing the things I said I didn't do, which is, you know, study the asset class and study the operator and maybe even having a mentor. I know you talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, someone who is a little bit more seasoned, who's been investing passively. And if you've been around people who invest passively, they're asking a different set of questions. And you're the, when, you, when they ask you have, you, have you looked into this? Have you considered that? You're like, uh, no, right? And so you have to become a little bit of a student. And it's a little bit different than investing in a stock market in the sense that you do have to study the asset class. And I have a lot of respect, by the way. I'm not poo-pooing stock market investing in general, okay? I'm just poo-pooing the, hey, here's a bunch of money, Mr. Financial Advisor, and I'm sure you'll take care of me, right? That's what I'm against. Uh, because the people who actually invest in the stock market, like literally invest in stocks that they know about and they research the companies and they invest in front of long-term with these companies like Warren Buffett does. I'm totally fine with that because you're studying the asset class, you're studying the operators and therefore you make more intelligent decisions. I didn't do any of that early on. 
Yeah, well, you're getting to know all the details, and that's where a lot of people don't really want to take that time. They say, hey, well, I'm going to hire a financial advisor, which is usually a financial broker. And they're like, oh, this person's going to be able to make these decisions for me. I don't need to learn anything. And then they end up looking in their portfolio when something bad happens in the world, and they ask, well, where's all my money? Yeah, that's right. And you figure that they'll take care of you, and they don't have any really financial interest, and they don't even, frankly, know the stock's under the hood anyway. And they make money whenever they turn a stock over, they actually make money, commission on it. So you're not really aligned with a stockbroker. And by the way, I don't know what the percentages, maybe no more than I, but I read somewhere that only 5% of brokers actually beat the S&P 500. Well, if that's the case, then why don't I just buy an S&P 500 index and pay 0.3% and be done with it if I actually want to be in the stock market. But there are fundamental things wrong with the stock market and people listening and watching this probably sense it, which is why they're looking for alternative investments. Well, a lot of people are here for that exact reason. So kind of talk us through, well, what are some of those things that you see make investing in real estate so much better? Obviously, I've got a lot of thoughts myself, but kind of made yourself an expert on this topic. Well, let's talk about what the problems are with the stock market. And and I'm really going to try to articulate it here. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of stock market investors who've been investing over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years even. And they kind of scratched their head going, something ain't right. I don't know exactly what it is, but fundamentally it boils down to this. Look, they can't make a financial plan for their for their family. They can't plan for the retirement. They can't properly plan for a college education because if there was a recession six to 12 months before they need the money, they're screwed. And this is very frustrating, right? Because these are earners and they save and they invest. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And then timing does not work out for them. And the second one, and this is because of the volatility and unpredictability of the stock market. Number two, they can't actually quit their job because it doesn't generate income unless you're doing advanced like stock option, iron condor trading that generate actual cash. But generally speaking, it doesn't generate income. Therefore, I can't actually quit my job. But you know what? These high income earners, they actually want the same thing that everybody wants. They want to quit their job. They want to quit their medical practice. They want to work less. They want to quit their law firm as a partner one day. They have no exit plan. The only exit plan they have right now is to save enough money so they can live off 4% of the principal, right? That's the thing. Well, you can't sell more than 4% of your principal or you exhaust your principal and who wants to run out of money? So if you want to make $100,000 a year, you got to have 2.5 million in the bank. I don't know how many Americans have two and a half million in the bank, but it's not a lot of them. And it takes forever to get to that point. And so that's a problem right there. And then number three, the taxes, you have to pay taxes on the gain. So every time you sell a stock, you pay gains. And that's a problem. And then the fourth problem, which is rearing its head right now, is inflation. We haven't had inflation. It's been 2.2% for the longest time, but it's, it ain't going to be 2.2 this year, and it's going to be higher next year. I can guarantee it. So that's going to eat. So you got taxes eating into your returns, and then you have inflation uh, eating into your returns. Do you think that the stock market returns are going to go higher because of inflation? No. They're going to probably stay the same or go lower, but the money in two or three years from now is going to be worth less than it is right now. So inflation is a real thing right now. So you put it all together and investing in the stock market is insane. Why does everybody do it? Well, why do I drift through life? Why do we not ask questions? Why do we not develop self-awareness? Why do we just do the same thing over and over again, like everybody else, every single day? And it's because we don't have self-awareness. That's the fundamental problem. We get stuck in this set of habits where we think everyone wants security, everyone wants certainty, everyone wants to feel like they're safe and their financial future is going to be safe and their family is going to be taken care of. And they go through life trying to fit within that box. 
But a lot of people, you, me, a lot of our listeners have had that realization that maybe the box is not really as safe as we thought it was. But where did these ideas come from? Well, they came from brokers. They came from people who are in the financial services industry selling us on this concept, this idea that we should just hand over our money and just place it with them. And they're going to take care of us and they're going to make all these decisions. And of course, you want to have very smart experts who help advise you on making these decisions, but it's important for you to also play an active role. And I think that's one of the things that's different about real estate is that even if you are a passive investor, you're still making that active decision on where that money goes. So talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, the, the first thing that has to happen is you have to develop awareness that something is not right with your, with your investing. And yes, does it require a little bit more time? Yes, you actually have to spend a little bit of time investing your hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just, it just is. Once you get your mind around alternative investments, in other words, that you are responsible for investing your own money and not your financial advisor. I remember it was very scary when I fired my financial advisor. I mean, I kind of started selling stuff and he, of course, cautioned me against it. Oh, Michael, that's very risky. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, my financial advisor is telling me not to do something. I'm doing it anyway. Oh my gosh. So when I pulled all my money out of the account, not a happy conversation, uh, right? Because they don't get paid anymore. So you, the responsibility appears very overwhelming. But what I found is that studying these asset classes is not nearly as overwhelming as, in my opinion, understanding a stock. And I'm a numbers guy. And I tried at one point, read some of the Warren Buffett stuff. And I was like, I don't know how the man comes up with a valuation for the stock, given these financials. Don't know. It's like, it's like a black magic to me versus evaluating, for example, a single family house, you know, coming up with the after repair value. Okay. I can get Matt's comps. I get, I got that. Uh, evaluating commercial real estate. I, I can wrap myself around it. So it's, what I, what I'm saying is I found that studying these asset classes, these alternative asset classes is a lot easier than understanding stocks in my opinion. You know, getting on a webinar, listening to someone talk about oil or precious metals or Bitcoin for crying out loud, you know, and you do that a couple of times, you maybe read a book or two and you start understanding the asset class and it doesn't become this foreign object, this, this crazy, like scary thing. You're like, oh my gosh, I think I'm getting it now. And then the only thing you got you to gotta do is find a good operator within that asset class that comes next. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. So when somebody goes through that process, I mean, it still can be scary, right? It still can be, I don't know everything about real estate. I don't know everything about multifamily. I don't know all the details, but that's why finding the right trusted operators and really spending your time getting to know them, understanding their process and all the things that I know we're going to talk about in just a second is so important. So what are those things that you look for in an operator for you to be able to know or for a passive investor to know, hey, this is somebody that I should really consider investing with? The good news is that you don't need to vet a dozen operators. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to so many operators. I'm never going to get done. It's like interviewing someone for a job. It's not like that at all because most passive investors will invest with two, maybe three operators over and over and over again. And yes, do you spend a little time up front vetting that operator? Yes, you do. And then maybe you invest the minimum required and then you see how they, how they operate. How do they communicate? What do they do? How do they behave? But once you found an, a, someone 
who you like and can trust every deal they do. You put in 50, 100, whatever the, the, the is, and you just keep investing over and over again. You don't have to go out and find new operators. In other words, the past investor who finds the one or two or three trusted operators at that point becomes relatively passive. Everything kind of boils down to trust in, in some sense. So for example, I can tell you the 12 point checklist on evaluating any kind of deal you get, and those are perfectly valid, uh, but it really boils down to the trust you have in the operator. If you find a good operator that you trust, then do you trust that operator to buy in a good market? Yes. Do you trust that they will buy in the right sub-market within that market? Yes. Do you trust that they're going to buy right and do the underwriting conservatively? Yes, you do. Now, should you still pay attention to those some, some of the things, especially in the beginning? Yes, you absolutely should. You should look at the, the team, right? Who is the team? What's the track record? What is their collective experience? And sometimes, you know, there are new operators and I, I, want a new, I want the new guy to succeed. You know, the guy who's never or gal who's never done a deal before. Well, how are they going to raise money? They don't have a track record. Okay. But those junior people can align themselves with more senior operators. And there again, it's, it's not about the, the one guy or the one gal. It's about the team around them. What is their collective experience? What is their collective track record? If it's not directly multifamily, is it in something else relatable? Is it in, in a profession? Is it maybe in flipping houses? You know, what is their track record? And then number two is how do they pick markets? What is their market selection? And then within that, how do they find the, 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 the projects that they, they invest in? And, and then the biggest mistake that passives make is they, they compare one offer offering with another with regards to returns. This one has a higher cash on cash. This one has a higher IRR. Well, who cares what the returns are? How the heck is it underwritten? Because I can make my offering memorandums look however I want. I can make it be a 17 IRR. I can make a 25% R and they're all going to look freaking good. Okay, but the question is, what are the underlying assumptions that they're making in the underwriting? And you need to ask them about that, right? So for example, year one rent increases. Well, how would they justify that, especially in COVID? How are they being forced by renovations or is it just natural rent increases? How aggressive are they in their rent projections? How aggressive, and this is a big one, are they on the cap rate at resale? I mean, it moves a half point here and there, moves the returns substantially. So if the market cap and whatever is five and a half percent and they're using five and a half percent for an exit in five years or even lower, let's say they're going to 5% in five years, interest rates are definitely going down. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. But what if they don't, right? If it moves up by half percent, that's a huge swing in return, right? So what are the exit cap rates? Oh, how many reserves are they, do they have at closing? Do they have operational reserves that they put in the bank when they close? You know, do they have a margin in their construction budget? It's a million dollars. Well, how much are they actually going to use and how much is in reserves, right? It better be like, you know, at least 10%. Things always go wrong. And then are they holding reserves while they're operating it, right? Out of actual cash flow, or are they just distributing all the available cash flow? That's going to drain uh, the project from from cash down the road as well. So these are all questions you have to ask yourself. Is, is the debt right? And and we made this mistake early on. We're like, oh, we're locking in that low interest debt for 12 years. Yeah, we rock. Well, back then, low interest debt was 5.1%. Lock it in. Not only did we lock in a high interest rate, but the exit sucked. I can't sell in three years because the market went up and I got an unsolicited offer that was like double what I paid for it. Now, are the investors going to make out? Yeah, they probably will because we're still going to hold it for five to seven years and have a very nice return. But is the debt, does the debt really match the business plan, right? So if there's a refi in year three, well, you can't have a fixed 12-year loan on it because you're not refining with that kind of loan unless there's, you know, a supplemental there. 
So these are some of the questions that you should ask, especially early on. There are questions that you should ask the, the operator to see, hey, do they even know what the heck they're, they're doing? Yeah, well, it's so important to do that up front. And it's part of this process of due diligence that really every person should be making before they invest with anybody, right? It's going through that process of really getting to know what are their core values, what's important to them, have they dealt with challenges before, how do they deal with those challenges, and most importantly, who on the team is going to impact and influence those decisions that are going to be made. And so these are all things that people go through. And it's funny, you get on these investor calls and I talk with folks and, you know, they reference some of those same things about comparing one deal to another. Every market is different. There's so many different characteristics that end up leading to whether a deal is going to end up returning the right returns. And it all starts with knowing as a passive investor, why are you investing? What's the hope that you're looking to achieve? Is it just to have a great back end? Is it to have a little bit of both the cash flow and and that equity gain on the back end? Or are you somebody who's only looking for cash flow? And so when you really know that, then you can go find operators who already have decided that their business plan is to serve investors who are looking for the exact same thing that you're looking for. So what I'm curious about, Michael, is where do people go and find great operators? People are listening here. They know about Von Finch. They know about we do and probably know about Nighthawk and what you guys do. But where else can people look to find operators that might match in those values and in that business? plan that they're targeting. Yeah. I mean, obviously a great place to find people is in conferences, right? The, the real estate investing conferences. Uh, we have one called Dealmaker Live in, uh, in July. Typically there's other ones. It's a great way to meet operators because most of the time these operators are speakers or they're panelists, right? They're up there and they own a thousand units, 2000 units, 3000 units, you know, pick your favorite asset class and go to one or two of their conferences. And here's the thing, all these big wig speakers are always looking for money. So you go up there, I'm a passive investor. I'm accredited. I'm sophisticated. You know, here's my card. Guess what? They're going to take your card and someone's going to call you. Okay. And now you're in with that person. Like I said, you don't need to talk to 10, 20 different operators, you know? And the other thing also now is you can get to know people so well remotely because there's people like you, if I want to get Steven, I'm just going to listen to several of his podcasts. And I kind of know who he is after a while because he's sharing his stories, his trials and tribulations, hopes and dreams. I have a podcast. I have a book. You know, there's a YouTube channel that you have. You're on social media. People can learn a lot about it. Even if they see you remotely speaking, even in a, in a virtual conference, they're like, wow, the Steven guy sounds pretty interesting. Let me go find out. And you Google Steven and you find him and you start consuming his content. And if you like it, then you can schedule a call with Steven and, and, uh, and ask him these 101 questions. So it's easier than never before to not only find them, but actually learn a lot more about the character of a lot of these operators. Yeah, well, that's it's such good advice. And so once somebody's gone through that process and they're clear on who they want to invest with, they know why they're investing, they know what they're looking for, they've found a great investment, how much should they be investing in each of these deals? And how should they go about figuring out and making that decision about whether they should invest the minimum more than the minimum? How should they go about making that decision? I can tell you that most investors almost always first invest the minimum. So if the minimum is $50,000, they'll invest $50,000, even if they have a million dollars that need to deploy this year. I just, they just do. And the reason they do it is because they, they want to test you. You know, they want to see how they want to get in the game, but they want to see how you behave. Now, they're not going to wait to invest with you again until you sell the asset. That makes no sense. That's like five to seven years down the road. What they are going to do is they're going to see how you behave, how you communicate. 
to see if, uh, if, if, if are you going to do what you say you're going to do? If I'm going to say, I'm going to do an investor report by the end of the month, are you doing that? If you're going to de deliver the K-1s by a certain date, are you going to do that? If you say you're going to have a webinar by a certain time, are you going to, do you do that, right? If you're going to say you're making distribution, are you going to do that? And also, by the way, if you're not, what is a communication if you miss a distribution? Because that's happened to us before. And how do you behave in a, in a sense that, well, it doesn't go as planned, right? And how do you behave? Do you become radio silent, which irritates investors to no end, or do you continue to communicate even though it's unpleasant as well? So, so investors typically invest a minimum, and I advise that you do that. And you kind of see over the next six to 12 months how they behave. And maybe you can make two or three different investments with two or three different operators, let's say in the, in the same asset class. And you see which, who you like best. And then you continue investing with, with that one or that two or those three operators. Well, I think that's just great advice because when you start out, you obviously, you want to start by testing and seeing how is this going to end up working out? And once you get that feeling of comfort, then you can start investing in relation to what your overall investable assets are. Because sometimes you might not want to be in, if you have a, a large net worth, for example, and you're going to put 25% in, you probably don't want to be managing 20 or 30 or 40 different syndications. It might make sense for you to invest heavier into a syndication once you're working with an operator that you have a lot of experience with. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely right. And you, you got to build a track record with, with, with people. And this is a great way to do it. And, and you, the other thing is you don't need to take all your money out of your stock brokerage account. You don't need to do that. Take out 50 and just get in the game. Watch the operator, see how they, and in the meantime, maybe find another operator. So you can leg into this. It's not like you have to like fire your stockbroker overnight. I, I wouldn't recommend that. It's way too painful to do, but take some out and experiment with it. So it's like people are you know, getting into Bitcoin or gold for the first time. Just buy an ounce, buy an overpriced Bitcoin. That way it forces you to get into the, into the asset. It forces you to learn the asset and it gets, gets, gets you some skin in the game. And what do you say to those investors who they get in the game and maybe they have a bad experience? Maybe something isn't going right, right off the bat. And that first experience, you know, maybe they're six months in, maybe they're a year in and something scared them. How do you recommend that they deal with that or think about that experience that they're dealing with in the moment? Yeah, that's a good question because sometimes that does happen. The first investment someone makes doesn't go quite as planned. They're like, oh, this sucks. But you have to separate the operator from the asset class. And this is why you study the asset class first as a fundamental investment. So multifamily in general or whatever the case is, do you like the asset class in general? Do you like how it behaves in a recession? Do you like its cash flow cap uh, features? Do you like the tax benefits? Yes, I do. I like all those things. Okay, great. Then go find an operator. Now, if it doesn't go so well, could it be that it was the operator? You know, Or maybe it was a complete unforeseen circumstance. The operator is great. But it was actually unforeseen circumstance, whatever happened. You know, I don't know, you know, a hurricane hit and it was somehow underinsured. Well, that was an operator error. So separate the, the, the fundamental asset class from the operator and then maybe bad luck on the actual deals. Which, which is it? And then adjust your investment accordingly. I think that's just phenomenal advice, right? Things are going to happen. And obviously, we don't ever want to deal with those challenges. But if they end up happening early, don't get completely turned off from the idea of investing in real estate. It's really understanding that if we're investing in multiple different deals with different operators and with different amounts, we're going to really diversify it in a way where we're going to be able to feel a lot more comfortable. And we might have a huge home run over here and we might have a deal that ends up just meeting the minimum and we might have a deal that is just below what was projected. But at the end of the day, that's all part of the process and we just got to keep moving forward. Exactly right. Yeah. Get in the game. 
And so what advice do you have for people who are on the fence right now and they're thinking to themselves, I want to do this, but something just keeps holding me back from finally pulling the trigger. I've heard this advice in, in the past, but yet I still just can't get myself to take action and make that investment. You know, I think you, you said it actually when I interviewed my podcast, you really need to create clear goals and a plan because if you have a clear goal and a plan, you're not going to sit there and not take action. Because if you put pen to paper, and I have, with regards to stock market, I have a special report that people can download it that actually has numbers of the actual returns of stock markets. It's at the michaelblank.com forward slash report, and you can look at the numbers for that. But if you put the pen to paper or you look at your own portfolio, it's going to become crystal clear that you're not going to be able to achieve your financial goals with any high degree of certainty. Therefore, if you want to quit your job or you want to shore up your retirement, not run out of money, you have to do something. You can't just sit there and let time go by because you're not going to be any place five years from now than you are right now. So create clarity of what you want and then go find a vehicle that gets you there. And, uh, and once you do that, you know, then you do need to get in the game. Just like we talked about, study the asset class. Of course, you and I both favor multifamily for very, very good reasons. I also like mobile home parks and self-storage as an asset class. It behaves similar to multifamily. It's not my personal style. And then gold does something totally different, right? Gold is something. I just love multifamily as the overall, there's a certain sense of familiarity uh, because of residential units, like a house, people live there. You know, self-storage and mobile home parks may not be for everybody, but study the asset class and start talking to some operators and invest, you know, the minimum investment and just do it once. And if it doesn't go well, then maybe it was the operator and maybe you can do it again with a different operator. But once the asset class is sound, and again, everyone should do their own homework on the asset class. But as I sit here right now, the asset class is extremely sound. The only time it doesn't go well is if the operator doesn't know what they're doing or they can't deal with unforeseen circumstances they should have foreseen or literally an unforeseen thing happened. Like COVID could have been a lot worse. COVID could have been a lot, lot worse. And, um, and that would have exposed a lot of weak operators, but it would have also disrupted a lot of very experienced operators had it been a lot worse as well. So separate the operator from the asset class. Yeah. Well, such great advice and such great lessons here, Michael. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? So uh, we are at themichaelblank.com. That's B-L-A-N-K. All of our uh, passive and, and active entrepreneur resources are on, on that. Uh, we have that report I talked about, probably most relevant to here. Uh, compares the stock market with real estate investing in general. And that's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. Our investment company is called Nighthawk Equity. And that's at nighthawkequity.com. Well, that's how people can find us. Great. We'll include that in the show notes for everybody. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of those lessons. Definitely look forward to uh, executing on those and uh, look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.